It is 1998, and the world is on a brink of a disaster that could wipe out all human life. An asteroid the size of Texas is heading straight for Earth, and scientists have just 18 days to stop the collision. NASA calculates that the only way to prevent this catastrophe is to drill into the asteroid's surface and detonate a nuclear bomb. And the only person capable of landing on the asteroid and making this vertical excavation is a deep-sea oil driller by the name of Harry Stamper. But this is going to be a team effort, and Harry won't accept the mission without his trusted crew. He needs his team because the mission will be the most difficult drilling project he has ever undertaken. Just landing on the asteroid is fraught with danger. There is a fire during fuel transfer. One of the shuttles is punctured by an asteroid shower, and when the Freedom finally lands on the asteroid, it misses the target area. But despite all of this, Harry finally manages to puncture the iron ferrite surface and sink the bomb deep into the rock. He saves the world. By now you might have realized that this didn't happen in real life. It is in fact the plotline of the US box office smash Armageddon. And this was released in the days where human spaceflight to low Earth orbit was restricted and there was no SpaceX. Watching launch videos on YouTube hadn't become a thing yet, so movies like this, along with Star Wars, Star Trek and other classics, were one of the few ways to get young people excited by the idea of blasting rockets into orbit. And today we must be grateful for films like this, because children growing up watching sci-fi in the 1980s and 1990s are now pioneering new space technology that has changed communications and given us more data about Earth and its weather system than we ever thought possible. Welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Alex Conacher. And I'm Rian Erin. In this episode, we speak to an engineer whose love for space was inspired by the movie Armageddon and is now working to bring native satellite launch capability back to the UK after a 50-year absence. This episode is supported by the Royal Academy of Engineering's Ingenious Scheme. Ingenious is an award scheme for projects that engage the public with engineering while at the same time providing engineers with skills and opportunities in public engagement. On the 28th of October 1971, the UK conducted its first and only successful orbital launch, firing the Prospero satellite into low Earth orbit, LEO, on a Black Arrow rocket. Since that time, the country has lacked a native launch vehicle. Making it the only nation in the world to develop and then abandon satellite launch capability. 50 years on from Black Arrow, and harnessing the resources of space has become a strategic and commercial imperative, with satellite applications now essential to nearly all sectors of the economy. You can learn more about this in episode 51, Saving Structures with Satellites. The aerospace sector has already responded, and the UK has burgeoned into a world-leading manufacturer and servicer of satellite technology. But until recently, it still had one critical gap launch, which could cripple our needs and imperil forward growth, as the industry has to barter for openings in increasingly crowded foreign launch schedules. But today, the UK has several companies working to fix this. One of them, Skyrora, has an aggressive programme. 
aiming for the inaugural launch of its flagship low-Earth orbital Skyrora XL rocket by 2023. This would mean the UK reclaiming its status as a space-faring nation in three years. Skyrora is a UK startup that designs, manufactures and deploys rockets to clear the way for small satellite manufacturers looking to access space. Headquartered in Edinburgh and with facilities across Europe, Skyrora is developing launch vehicle technology to ensure that, in their words, The life-changing benefits of space are realised here on Earth. And Joe Lainton, a mechanical engineer for Skyrora, is one of the steely-eyed missile men making this happen. To be honest, it started way before watching Armageddon. It was always when I was, uh, I think I was about eight at the time. It was when my uh, mum took me down to Toys R Us. Obviously, there's aisles and aisles of different toys. And the only ones I wanted to go down was the Lego aisle. Uh, backwards and forwards about five times. Then the one that always popped up was the Millennium Falcon. The iconic mandible-shaped spaceship that was piloted by the blaster-slinging smuggler Han Solo in the Star Wars franchise. Uh, to my mum's demise, most expensive Lego uh, you could ever get. But since then, like Lego was basically my entry into engineering, and that then developed into bikes and cars later on in my life, um, just fixing and mending. This was the start of Joe's fascination with mechanical engineering, but the draw from space came from Armageddon. It's where my my fascination with space developed from. It's basically the first space move I ever watched. It was it's a group of uh, oil riggers who've never been into space the most ragtag group of people you could ever choose. Uh, they got picked to go into space as it was a drilling mission. It was based on a asteroid coming towards Earth uh, and they had to go up there, drill it, split it up and blow it up to save the planet Earth. Back on Earth and in the present day, Joe may not be saving the world, but he is trying to improve life for its 7.8 billion inhabitants. He works in the technical team at Skyrora, which is based in Edinburgh. I mainly work on modifications and logistics. So it's quite a bit of a dual role, which is it's quite interesting because it's not just uh, modifications, sat in an office, churning out paperwork. The modification work to finesse Skyrora's rocket technology is carried out at a new 30 kilonewton rocket engine test site. But in terms of the modifications, I mainly work on our, our 30 kilonewton test site. I do pneumatics and hydraulics on the feed lines, uh, rerouting the existing routes and installing different valves and systems into it. And this leads to Joe's favourite part of the job, firing the rocket engine. The favourite part is always the test. To be honest, it's just amazing to hear it go off, the roar in the background. Although you never get to see it in, apart from other computer screens, but... Just hearing that background noise is pretty amazing. There are a number of tests that are needed before the rockets can be deemed launch ready. So in the UK, we do three different types of tests. We do pressure testing, engine testing, and static fire testing. The pressure test basically qualifies the tanks, the engine. It's your exception test after manufacturing. Once it passes that, we go on to uh, our engine test which is where we test for the parameters, confirm it, it can produce the right thrust, the right velocities. Uh, we're getting the right chamber pressure. Once that's complete, the engine's integrated into our rocket, 
So we just did our L1 at Kildemora and it gets fully integrated. We test it out with the mobile launch system to confirm we can fill an empty uh, and do a static fire test, which is about a 30 second burn we do. All this work will eventually see the engines shoot Skyrora's rockets up to orbit. I asked Joe to run through the rockets that Skyrora has been developing. So Skyrora's main aim is to provide a orbital rocket service, a launch service for SunSync and Polar Orbits. These are both orbits that the UK is well positioned for. A polar orbit is one that sees the satellite pass over both poles during one transit, while Sun Synchronous is an almost polar orbit. The satellite moves in such a way to keep it in the same relative position to the Sun. This means that it passes over the same point of the Earth at the same time every day. For example, it could pass over a particular city every day at noon. We do this through our Skyora XL, which is our bigger rocket. Uh, I'll come to that in a bit. Uh, I'll start with our smaller rockets. The purpose of the smaller rockets is basically to build up uh, flight experience and launch experience within Skyora. But we started with our little nano rocket, which has had two test flights now. The Skylark Nano is a single stage unguided rocket. It is 2.4 meters tall with a 10 centimeter diameter. It is a solid propellant rocket that has a max thrust of 1,825 newtons and a liftoff mass of 13.3 kilograms, which allows for a payload mass of up to one kilogram, and it can fly up to six kilometers. So the next one is the Skyrim Micro, which is a two-stage subsonic rocket powered uh, with solid-state motors. It's just a sounding rocket, which gives us a lot of practice and allows us to figure out how to work with a two-stage rocket. The Skylark Micro is 3.3 meters tall, 32 kilogram takeoff mass and can reach 30 kilometers. Then comes the Sky High. Our next one's the Sky High, which is a two-stage hybrid, which uses a solid fuel called HTPB and hydrogen peroxide as the oxidizer. That one goes to an apogee of about 100 kilometers. It's quite small, but goes far. That's based on uh, it being a hybrid rocket. 100 kilometres is a height known as the Kármán line, which is often used to mark the edge of space for legal and regulatory matters. It's quite small, but goes far. Then we're going to our bigger rockets, which is the Skyrail which is the first of our larger rockets, which is a single-stage bi-liquid fuel, which is pressure-fed. That goes to an apogee of 100 kilometers and has to be launched from a mobile launch station. Skylark L and other rockets of this size require more facilities on site, as well as the ability to raise the rocket from a horizontal to a vertical position. So mobile launch platform includes the erector, which verticalizes the rocket itself, uh, there is also three filling stations, one for uh, the pressure tanks, which is helium, and a kerosene and HTP tank, uh, hydrogen peroxide, and they're the pump systems. We also have a mobile command centre to control the whole operation. Finally comes the flagship, the Skyrora XL rocket. While the others have their uses and are of interest for research purposes, the XL is the goal for Skyrora's commercial launch ambitions. 
The rocket is in three stages, with a total length of 22.7 metres and a diameter of 2.2 metres. It has a lift-off mass of 55,838 kilograms and can carry a payload of up to 315 kilograms. This means that it can deliver satellites into sun-synchronous orbit anywhere in from 500 to 1,000 kilometres in altitude or polar orbits of 200 to 1,000 kilometres. And that's our, our main uh, moneymaker, really. That's what we're going to use for commercial flight. And this rocket will be blasting off from British soil so soon. It's actually surprisingly close in relative terms. We're, we have quite an aggressive timeline here at Skyro. Our plan is to have our first flight of the XL by the end of 2022, uh, with commercialization started in 2023. So the main, main tasks to get to this are to test our third stage at the end of this year, then our second and first stage for the XL in 2021 and start of 2022. Uh, so these are all the static fire tests, which are uh, basically qualify it ready for flight. There are bigger rockets out there. Skyrora XL is a light class launch vehicle. But when satellite owners launch their assets on larger rockets, like a SpaceX Falcon, smaller customers have to ride share and make do with whatever launch parameters the primary customer has for the mission. This is like sharing a cab with a friend, but only being dropped off at her house. So we're one of the bigger small sat providers focusing to get to market as quick as possible for the UK. The, the big problem is, is um, within Europe, there's no small satellite provider. So people have to go to either America or Asia or even Russia to fly their satellite. The other option really for small satellites is rideshare. Uh, which is piggybacking on the bigger rockets done by SpaceX, uh, Ariane Group. Um, but the problem really with that is that it's the Prime what gets the decision, the Prime being the big load. That gets the decision of when it flies, if the if the ride shares can fly on it, uh, what orbit it goes into. What we want to do at Skyora is create this dedicated service to uh, allow these small sats to have that option to go to this orbit, to that orbit, to be able to fly when they want to fly, which is quite a novel, novel thing in this market. There is a white heat to progress in the space sector. Before Joe joined, he was in an established industry, the nuclear industry, working on facilities that were half a century old. It was quite comical, to be honest with you. I was a fresh graduate with ideas of working in cutting edge technology, the nuclear industry being one of that, uh, with Inkley Point C and uh, ITER over in France. And then it ends up I was working on a 60-year-old power plants designed uh, pre-70s. It was quite amazing stuff, actually. All old rust buckets, but interesting. Uh, nevertheless, I, I got a lot of knowledge out of it. Then, one day... Joe was sitting at his computer. I was sat at my desk at the end of the day after a, a long, long shift on at the station. And I was just flicking through my, my Facebook and uh, Google. So it's like a personalized news they do. Uh, but it, it, it just it was Rocket, SpaceX, NASA, the full whack. And I was just like, it was kind of a bit of an epiphany moment. And from that point onwards, I was like, I, that's what I want to do. So I resigned from my, from my previous job at the end of the year and uh, went into look at the space industry. 
and launch vehicles particular was uh it's just cool at the end of the day if you compare it it's like the bee's knees of space the change to working in the space sector was in joe's words if you pardon the cliche it was um a breath of fresh air uh, everyone's dependable and adaptable we worked together quickly and you saw progress within a couple of weeks not years which was always interesting I must admit, my first project here was uh, within the first week I got put on building the bun system for our, one of our test sites. And uh, the turnaround week was, time was two weeks. And that itself was quite incredible that we managed to build and get put in and installed within two weeks, whereas any other industry, that'd be months. And although down the pub, people don't always believe that Joe has a job making rockets, he doesn't mind because he is excited and proud to work in a sector which is growing so quickly that it will soon be difficult to ignore. So if you go back to uh, what UKSA said this year. The UKSA is the UK Space Agency, and it has serious ambitions for British industry. They want to capture 10% of the world space uh, market. It's quite a challenge to do especially with no current launch vehicle capability uh, within the UK. We have one of the biggest satellite markets, but obviously they're stuck on ground. So you'll need a, a suitable local launch vehicle provider, which hopefully will be us. This young, growing industry is on the brink of major expansion, but it needs new STEM talent to thrive. And Joe has some important advice for young people who are interested in this sector. And it isn't all about maths and physics. Space is an amazing uh, place to be. But my main advice would probably be just to study hard, work hard. And obviously don't neglect the extracurriculars. Because the, the main course in the curriculum you get taught is quite generic. But it's these extracurriculars what give you that, that interest and that passion to do what you actually want to do. In his own case, the answer was easy. For example, even if you... Think about me, I wouldn't have uh, took this job, I wouldn't have got into space if I didn't watch Armageddon. It's, it's as simple as that. But as for the regular curriculum, his path is a good one to follow to get into mechanical engineering. So at school, I um, studied in Halifax, West Yorkshire, at a school called Crossley Heath. And my main subjects were maths, physics, further maths. I was a dyslexic, so English was always off the cards. Uh, there was no option there. So that really set me up for mechanical engineering at uni, where I studied at Nottingham. Uh, did two years there, a year abroad in Malaysia and a year back in the UK. But the basis of that is like I really picked up on the nonlinear dynamics. Uh, it kind of set my knowledge and experience and it's just an interesting subject because it covers everything from natural uh, occurrences so like chaos theory to like flutter stability in rockets and it's quite useful in every day. Although one thing Joe does regret is not having more specialisation in his studies. The, the reason I always come back to this is that at university I did quite a generalised course, mechanical engineering. It allows you to do a lot of different industries, but the problem was I never learned anything specific enough to go straight into an industry job. 
So I was limited to more of a consultancy role, learning on the job rather than being capable to do the job straight away. Although everything worked out in the end for Joe, it's something other budding rocket engineers may want to consider. As for other roadblocks to his dream career... I didn't have any major moments. I guess the only wobble I really had was when I did consultancy. I came in as a fresh graduate, wanting to do engineering and technology and development. And I learned a lot and very quickly that English was quite a very useful skill uh, in industry, which you always overlook as an engineer. But having the ability to write a good report and write it well is a, a really good skill, really. And that kind of discouraged me in, in, in that instance. But I got over it, I worked hard and I adapted. Today, Joe is still working hard, hoping to return launch capability to British soil. And we will all be watching to see if Joe and the UK can successfully create its first launch capability in over 50 years. Launch 2023. It sounds like a great podcast. Engineering Matters is a production of Reby Media. Produced by Alex Conacher and Rian Owen. Edited by Bernadette Ballantyne. Sound engineering by John Young. Our own launch controller is Rory Harris. And special thanks to Sky Rora and the Royal Academy of Engineering. This episode was made in partnership with the Royal Academy of Engineering's Ingenious Public Engagement Awards scheme. The project aims to engage the public with engineers and engineering while providing engineers with skills and opportunities in public engagement. The Academy's overarching goal for 2025 is to harness the power of engineering to build a sustainable society and an inclusive economy that works for everyone. If you would like to tell your story, please get in touch by emailing alex at rebemedia.com. Thank you for listening. You can find us on all podcast apps and on our website, engineeringmatters.reby.media. Share us on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. Did you enjoy the podcast? We'd like to know what you think. Check the show notes for a link to a listener questionnaire to give us your feedback.